Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm joining you today from the Utah State Capitol in Salt Lake City. It's opening day for the 2018 Utah Legislature. I'll be talking with Governor Gary Herbert, also majority and minority leaders from the Utah Senate and House of Representatives. We hope to feature you as well. Here is the email. We hope to get your question. Put those to governor and uh, legislative leaders and uh, your comments as well. Upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com. We'll also be talking to representatives from some interest groups. We'll be talking with uh, Utah Health Policy Project, Crossroads Urban Center, Utah Taxpayers Association, and Our Schools Now to see what's on their minds. And... Uh, we are awaiting the governor uh, to arrive. Uh, before we uh, go to the governor, let's uh, hear a portion of a recorded uh, conversation with Matt Sloniker um, uh, from the Utah Health Policy Project, also Stacy Sanford. And we got talking about elimination in the new tax reform, national tax reform, of the individual mandate uh, from Obamacare. Let's uh, hear this uh, just a couple of minutes. I want to uh, just talk about uh, the the shakeout, the fallout from uh, the national uh, tax reform, which included a piece on health care, a deletion of the individual mandate. How how is that going to affect things in Utah? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say one thing, and I'll let Stacy jump in. We're worried. Our job, one of our jobs here at Utah Health Policy Project, is to help Utahns find health care insurance options, and the Affordable Care Act is one of those options. And without a mandate in place, there may be enough healthy people that will opt out of insurance that it really impacts the risk profile of that insurance marketplace and make it really vulnerable to not working and and malfunctioning and not being able to sustain insurers not wanting to participate. And then we don't have an insurance marketplace for, for those folks that are wanting to buy insurance for their families. So we're worried about that, uh, and we think that the mandate did a lot of good. It was one of the, the legs on the three-legged stool in ensuring that health care only works if everybody's in. It's an all-in type of proposition, similar to other insurance. You know, if you're in, it helps balance it out for everybody else, especially if the healthy people are in. So Stacy's probably got some other thoughts about the politics of it, though. Yeah, Stacey, we'll give you the last word on this. The individual mandate repeal, it's hard to know what the actual impact is going to be. You know, we have the mandate and the subsidies motivating people to get covered. So what we have to kind of wait and see is what this is going to look like. We don't know. Uh, Congress decided to pull the individual mandate without really knowing what the real implications are. And so, unfortunately, that's something we just kind of have to wait and see how that plays out, exactly how much the insurance premiums are going to go up, because we know they will, exactly how many people are going to lose coverage, because we know they will. So it's just kind of a wait and see, unfortunately. That is a portion of our conversation. We'll have the rest of that later in the broadcast. That's Matt Sloniker, Executive Director, and Stacey Sanford from the Utah Health Policy Project. And uh, joining us now is uh, Governor Gary Herbert, Governor of the State of Utah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you as always. That's the best way to start off the legislative session. Well, that's that's great. We, we always want you top of the broadcast. Uh, I want to ta- start with the federal government shutdown. How is that uh, affecting or going to affect Utah? Well, we're anticipated, we anticipated and we've prepared for it, so hopefully minimally, uh, and let's hope that they resolve this in a hurry. Uh, we have contingent plans. Uh, most of the things that we have in Utah, we run by 
uh, Utah state taxpayers' money. A few things that we co-share the responsibility with the federal government. We'll have to start looking at cutting down. We have reserves and contingencies in place. So we'll be able to continue on for a couple of weeks with or without the federal government being open. But let's hopefully get that resolved. I guess one of the uh, you know, the marquee effects would be national parks. I'm not sure what the what the status of the parks is right now. And that's uh, if it goes on for a while, that's going to affect gateway communities. Yeah, I've appreciated the fact that this administration really has tried to find ways to keep things open, even if at minimal levels. Uh, the past administration was ready to shut down. In fact, in a very vindictive way. For example, down at Zions Park, they put cones out where we had white spots in the road just to prevent people from pulling over their automobiles, getting out of their cars, and taking photographs of Zions Park and the sceneries that were there. They actually stationed a ranger there. It cost more money to put the cones out and the rangers than it was just to let people go down the road and pull off and use their cameras. Same thing happened at part of the mall in Washington, D.C., where they would cone off areas to look at some of the monuments which was just a matter of walking down the sidewalk and taking a look at things, and to cone those off seemed a little bit petty. So I'm glad this administration is trying to keep the parks open, even at a minimal level. You should be able to hike the trails and go out there and explore and look and, and view uh, uh, nature, and it doesn't cost any money to really do that. Before we jump into state issues, that's obviously why we're here. Um, at least from the Democratic side on the national level, it's uh, the Dreamers. They're, they say the, why they're pushing for, for a shutdown. Um, what's, what's your uh, view on that? Well, again, the unfortunate thing is that uh, all that Congress seems to be good at is delay, delay, kick the can down the road and never solve a problem. And both sides are to blame. Uh, the need to come together and compromise and resolve issues and, and move ahead is something that uh, we expect out of our Congress. Uh, I think the dreamers, uh, so-called, again, those who are caught here that uh, through no fault of their own are here, have only known America as their country, you know, deserve some help. Uh, again, the problem was that Congress not acting, uh, you know, so we ended up having an executive order, which is not correct. That's not the law. And uh, so President Trump rightfully said, you know what, that shouldn't be done by executive order. That should be done by Congress. And, uh, and yet Congress doesn't seem to be willing to act. And so he's kind of forcing them to, to consider this, and uh, that's probably not a bad thing. The bad thing is that the Congress doesn't seem to be willing to, in fact, resolve the issue. So let's hope that they, with the pressure of federal government shutdown, that they'll get together and say, how do we deal with these people in a humane way? Um, again, these are young people that uh, really, for all intents and purposes, are Americans. And, uh, Ben, that's the only country they know. And we should, in fact, treat them as such. Find a way to, in fact, uh, keep them legal. doesn't mean necessarily that they become citizens, but uh, provide an opportunity for them to live their dreams here in America. It would be silly to kind of force them out of our country and back to the, some country of origin they don't really remember, haven't been there since they were two years old. Uh, and, uh, again, there's a common-sense way to solve this problem if people come together and use a little common sense. What uh, open-ended question, what are your top priorities for this session? Well, the number one priority always when we come into session is a budget. The reason we come together every year is uh, for 45 days, the number one issue is, in fact, to determine how to spend the money. I released my proposal, which I'm required to do by our Constitution and statute to the legislature, $16.7 billion, and I've prioritized how I think it should be spent. And uh, there's really only so many ways you can kind of slice the pie. 
but I hope that the legislature likes the way I've tried to slice it. My number one priority will be education, as it always is. Nearly three out of every four new dollars that come into our coffers from tax revenues will go into education. That's K through 12 as well as uh, higher education. And that's not just traditional universities, but uh, particularly our technology colleges, which are taking on a, a larger and increasing, more significant role in the marketplace than ever before. So we'll put about, uh, uh, we have $385 million of new money, ongoing money, and about $250 million of that is going to go into education, both higher and uh, education, and about $200 million into public education. So it's a significant increase. We'll have a, an increase in our weighted pupil unit, which is the basic unit of about 5.6%, which will be the largest number in a long time. Mm. Uh, the people behind the Our Schools Now ballot initiative, are, uh, they say it's looking good. They'll get the signatures by the deadline to get that on the November ballot. What's your view of the Our Schools Now initiative? Well, I understand the zeal. Hope to have more revenues put into education. I created a goal here three years ago of a billion dollars of new money into public education in five years, and I'm pleased that uh, so far, not only are we on track, we're above what our goal should be. We should be at 60%. This year, we're actually at 67%. Actually at 67%. So we're on track to increase public education funding by a billion dollars over that five years. Uh, you know, people argue that's not enough, and I understand that. Uh, we also are trying to, in fact, do some tax modernization, which is really bringing our tax code up to reflect today's marketplace, which is not only today, but what it's going to be tomorrow. There's been a significant disruption. We saw the federal government just completed tax review and, and tax reform. We're trying to do the same thing. We introduced the subject last year. Uh, there's certainly some tax areas that ought to be reviewed, uh, not necessarily calling them loopholes, but we have sales tax credits and sales tax exemptions and tax exemptions that ought to be reviewed to see if they, in fact, are even worthwhile. Uh, did they even do what they were intended to do to incent the marketplace in certain ways? Uh, so those ought to be reviewed. We clearly have not kept up with the demand for uh, our fuel tax for transportation. We haven't even recaptured the loss of inflation over the past 18 years. So I think there's probably some need to look at that. We have too much now that uh, funding of our transportation, our roads are coming out of general fund. Uh, about 55% uh, of that's coming out of general fund, and only 45% is coming out of user fees. And then there's the gasoline tax, and that's probably backwards. We should have more user fee cost than just general fund need. So I think there should be a hard look at our, how we're taxing that, uh, and uh, that probably needs to be modified and changed and probably increased more on user fees and less on, uh, on general fund. Um, I've been reading some talk about um, some support for some modest Medicaid expansion, small Medicaid expansion. Well, small, large, I guess that's kind of a relative thing. Uh, for Utah, it would be somewhat of a significant larger step forward. The thing we've agreed to way back when uh, under the Obama administration is we were not opposed if we had the ability to cap our expenses to, in fact, expand. Uh, the concern was they wanted us to sign a blank check, no guarantee that the federal government would keep their part of the bargain, and uh, we wanted to make sure that what we can afford today, we can afford tomorrow. 
that's the problem with matching. If we say if the program continues to grow and we have to come up with our share, can we do that? We actually have to balance our budget. We're not like the, the people in Washington. They don't balance their budget. In fact, they've got a $20 trillion and growing debt now. Uh, before Medicaid expansion and the Affordable Care Act, uh, we had Democrats and others saying that the, the they called the mother of all budget busters we have in our state budgets was Medicaid, just traditional Medicaid. So this is not a new concern, and it's a reflection of the rising cost of health care, which is not being addressed. All we talk about now is how to pay for it rather than addressing the root cause. So that's a disappointment for all of us. Uh, but I think the opportunity for us, in fact, to have waivers from this administration, it's a lot more friendly to the states, to give us exemptions uh, that would allow us to, in fact, to cap expenses so we don't have to buy something we can't afford or we'll break our budget in the future. Uh, the fact that we can, we've asked to have work requirements put in like we do in other federal government programs. So in exchange for giving you health care, we're going to help you get skills and education and training so that if you're able-bodied, meaning you're physically and mentally able, and if you're underemployed, we'll get you a better job. If you're unemployed, we'll get you a job. We're going to help you get off of government assistance. It's really just a function of how much money you make. And so wouldn't it be better for us to find ways to get people employed and get them better jobs so they don't have to have government assistance? Most people want to be self-sufficient, and the, dig the dignity of work that comes, the self-respect, is how we in Utah would like to treat the whole person. I know you have to get going, uh, Governor. A final question on uh, public lands. Um, President Trump came, flew in, uh, <laughs> shrank the two monuments. Um, where are we on the on the on the state side? Where do you where do you want to see it go from here? Well, the sad thing about it is uh, we have so much polarization and misinformation out there that people are a little bit confused. We have people saying that we're reducing the public lands. That's not true. Not only is Utah not reduced by one acre any of the public lands, we in fact have put conservation easements on private land to enhance uh, the protections of antiquities and archaeological artifacts, etc. Think uh, down in, in Carbon County, uh, Nine Mile Canyon, Range Creek, where uh, you know thousands of acres of private land have been taken out of development capability by putting conservation easement by the state of Utah. We put money up and bought the rights so there would be no development. Uh, the Bears Ears, uh, again, I think the, the important part is that uh, people recognize that although they, President Trump has shrunk the size of the monument, which was gigantic in its beginning, one and a half million acres, it's smaller now. But uh, the new proposal is, is designed to, in fact, put enforcement there, 10 uh, law enforcement uh, personnel on each of the monuments, which will help protect the antiquities. Right now, there is nothing there to protect the antiquities. In fact, we see uh, a lot of looting. Our archaeologists tell us that the, the looting is caused by trafficking. More people there, and there tend to be more looting of artifacts. So having a monument come there and attract people sometimes can be counterproductive to protecting the antiquities, and that's something that we ought to be concerned about. It still leaves about 500,000 acres in wilderness study areas. We have uh, four or five different federal laws that protect against antiquities, repatriation of any kind of Indian remains, uh, the, uh, not only the Antiquities Acts, but, uh, but the archaeological fines. So there's protections already in place on public lands without the monument classification. So 
that uh, if the illusion that's out there that there's going to be lack of protection, that's just not true. Uh, the monuments will be smaller in size, but we'll be giving some manpower. And by the way, these are all BLM lands. Uh, this will always be public land. That's not going to be privatized. And the BLM has the ability to put their own rules in place and protect them now. And the legislation being proposed now is to, in fact, take all of the original uh, acreage of the one and a half million acres and by Congress action, by statute, take off the table any uh, kind of mining, oil extraction, uh, any energy, uh, natural gas. Uh, uh, so again, the lands will be protected. It's not being done so that you know energy resources can be out there and rape and pillage. I hope that we can come together. I'm going to try to meet with the different Indian tribes one-on-one uh, -on -one and see if we can help to answer questions they may have because at the end of the day, the hope is with this new approach, which I think is probably a better approach, it will actually give the Indians the ability to manage lands off of the reservation. They've never had that before. It can't come by executive order, but it can come by congressional statute. So if we care about them having more say over what they would consider some of their sacred lands, this is the only way to do it. So this could be a win-win-win if people will just you know, sit down and reason together and uh, let's hope that can happen. Like I say, I'm going to meet with the Indian tribes here over the next few weeks. Well, we've been talking with uh, Governor Herbert. I know you uh, have to get going, and we'll uh, take a break. We'll come back with uh, Representative uh, Brian King, House Minority Leader, and Senate Majority Whip uh, Stuart Adams. Thanks, Governor. Appreciate All right, it. thank you. Good luck to you. Okay. We'll go to break now. Forget that these songs have been around for over 200 years. They're as popular as ever, sung in the fresh voices of today's singers. Discover the contemporary appeal of the songs of Robert Burns this week on The Thistle and Shamrock. Join us Friday night at 9 on Utah Public Radio. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll scale some lofty peaks in search of music from the mountainous regions of the world. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Mountain Music, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. White working-class voters delivered President Trump his victory. We talk with the author of The New Minority, White Working-Class Politics. You can't craft the politics of Trumpism uh, without engaging in some sort of resentment of racial uh, diversity in America. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Wake up with Good Reason Wednesday at 4 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, today's broadcast is live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City on opening day of the uh, Utah legislature. We just talked with Governor Gary Herbert. Upcoming, we'll be talking with Senator Gene Davis, Senate Minority Leader. We'll also have a conversation with Representative Brad Wilson, House Majority Leader. And we have conversations with uh, several interest groups, Utah Health Policy Project, Utah Taxpayers Association, Crossroads Urban Center, and Our Schools Now. 
Uh, right now, we uh, bring in uh, Senate Majority Whip, uh, Senator Stuart Adams. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here with you. And uh, we're joined by Representative Brian King, who's the House Minority Leader. Thank you. Thank you. Love to uh, adjust uh, his microphone. Uh, so let me uh, start with uh, Senator Adams. We'll just, uh, and then I'll go to Representative King. Open-ended question at the beginning here. Top priorities for you. Well, top priority is always education. That's the thing we deal with. I think the the biggest budget item is probably one of the most important things we, we do as a legislature is deal with the education. I think you'll see some tax reform. You're seeing an, an, an initiative to try to raise money for education. Uh, we've worked really hard in the past to, to fund education. I'm sure that'll be one of the, the major uh, issues and subjects as we go through this legislative session. Okay. Representative King, top parties. Well, certainly education. I agree with uh, Senator Adams. Education is always a, a continuing priority. This is the most significant uh, investment that we can make in the most important infrastructure of the state. We talk about highways. We talk about uh, uh, business enterprise and economic vitality, but it's our children, when you get right down to it, that are the most important investment that we can make. That's going to determine the quality of life for Utah in the future. Uh, I also think clean air is a huge issue. We've made a lot of progress on working with clean air on a bipartisan basis up here in the last five uh, or six years or so. We've had a, in the past few years and continue to have a very active bipartisan coalition on clean air uh, among legislators. We'll continue to work on things like uh, getting diesel emission testing, emission testing for diesel vehicles down in Utah County passed. Utah County is the only one of the county along the non-attainment non area along the Wasatch Front that doesn't test their diesel vehicles. We'd like to see that. We'd also like to see uh, more vigorous enforcement on rolling coal, these diesel trucks that are uh, rolling down the street that have that uh, adjust their emission uh, uh, outlines so that they can blow out this black smoke you see them occasionally and that's not helping our uh, our emission, our air quality. So we, we know that we need to take care of people's health, the public health, by dealing uh, with our air quality and we'll continue to work on that. Before we go back to uh, schools, uh, I want to follow up with air quality. I'm quoting the Salt Lake Tribune here. Governor is proposing more money for better monitoring and research. You, Representative King, says it sounds like a nothing burger, but it really isn't. You're you're supporting this. Absolutely. This is the more information we can get about where and how and under what conditions air quality is degraded, uh, the better off we are, because we can then tailor you, uh, direct solutions that um, that will have a better impact. All the work that we're doing on clean air is incremental. We have to realize we live along the Wasatch Front in a way that we're going to have these inversions regardless of what we do, but we can uh, we can gradually improve the air quality, and that's one good way of doing it. So, so uh, one of the things we can do, I think, uh, as we've heard over and over again, is that the, the largest portion of the pollution comes from our automobiles. Uh, well over 50% is automobile-related. And uh, the statistics have told us, the, those that have monitored the air said that uh, Tier 3 fuels is probably the, the if we move to Tier 3 fuels, to Tier 3 automobiles, it's one of the more significant things we can do. The reports have been it's like taking, some people say, four out of five cars off the road. Some people say eight out of ten. I think they both end up the same thing, is it's uh, making a significant difference. We actually uh, allowed for, a, for a, a tax credit for the refineries to try to move to Tier 3 fuels. Uh, Tesoro and Chevron have decided to do that. Within a year or two, those fuels will be available. 
uh, again, sometimes the refineries get a little bit of criticism for what they're doing, and of course, uh, you know, fossil fuels receive a severe amount of criticism, but I think they're trying to be part of the solution, and I think we're looking forward to that Tier 3 fuel being available, and they're spending millions of dollars to do it, and we're working together rather than forcing people. We're actually helping them, and, and I think it's, a, again, hopefully helping our air quality. I'll start with Representative King on this. I'd like to get uh, Senator Adams' views on this as well. Um, our schools now ballot initiative. Uh, the proponents say it looks good. Uh, we'll get the signatures, get it on the ballot in November. Legislature always says we're that's our top priority. We're, we're uh, doing the best we can. Do you support our schools now? I do, Tom. I think this is a matter of political will, and we've had a lot of concern from the legislature over many years about how aggressive to be on raising revenue because it has an impact on regular people, and, and we are concerned about that. However, um, I, I think that what you've seen is the past few years, a little increasing uh, will from the legislature, it's, it's still not enough. And so what I would like to see is our schools now pass uh, so that we can get better revenue into our schools and move from 51st in the country when you include the District of Columbia up to like 49th or something like that. Money isn't everything, but the lack of money is not nothing. The lack of money can keep us from getting where we need to be on that. So the thing that I'm worried about, quite honestly, if our schools now does get on the ballot and it goes down at the election in November, you're going to have a very hard time getting the Utah State Legislature to increase revenue for public education in the future because the representatives and the senators are going to say, well, we know how our constituents feel. We know how the people of the state of Utah feel. So this is really a, a put, put up or shut up situation, I think, for the people of the state of Utah if that initiative gets on the ballot, and that's why I support it. Senator Adams, will your views on our schools now? Yeah, I agree with Representative Can the fact that if it if it fails, it, 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 it would be a... Uh, very difficult to raise revenue after that. And so what I actually believe is a better solution is to do it legislatively, is to find a way to fund schools and fund education through the legislative process. Uh, when you put something on the, the, the ballot and have great respect for those that have done it, for bringing attention to the subject, but there's no ability to refine it over the period of time it's on the ballot. When we bring a bill forward, we, we, it gets amended, it goes through a refining process, we have 104 people look at it and they all have their ideas. And by the time we get through with that process, typically we've refined it into a, a better bill and a better, a better way of doing it. I believe in the legislative process and I believe it's our responsibility to respond to, to those that have, are trying to put this on the ballot and I hope we do some of that this session as I actually think it's, it's the legislature's responsibility and we need to step forward and, and try to respond to the, the will of the people. So I, I believe that's a better way. Let me reverse order. I'll start with uh, Senator uh, uh, Adams on this. Um, just, uh, just a couple of things uh, that uh, may come up. So the last legislative session, Utah legislature passed the toughest in the nation drunk driving law, They're reducing it from 0.08 to 0.05. That takes effect, uh, as I understand it, later this year. So there has been some talk of tweaking it, uh, changing it, stopping it. Uh, what, what do you think should happen? You know, uh, I, I'm glad you uh, draw attention to that. Uh, I was shocked when I served on the Transportation Commission. The number one item, the very first item, it still stays the number one item on the Transportation Commission's agenda before they talk about building roads or anything else or the fatalities. Uh, last year, I think there were about 290 in 2017. That actually came down, even though we're traveling more in 2018. Uh, 
that's 20, maybe 30 people a, a month being killed on our roads. And uh, we, we need to make sure that the, you know, if, if that were happening and we were having a war in Iraq and we were having 30 people killed in Utah every, every month in, in a war, we'd have, or, or any other way for, for that matter, we'd have riots in the street. And somehow we allowed for those automobile fatalities to happen day in and day out without any attention. Uh, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't drive when you're drunk or impaired. At the National Transportation Safety Board and others have come forward and showed that at 0.05, you're impaired. And uh, we have to trust those people who do those studies. And to drive at anything beyond 0.05 is simply not safe. And so I don't know if there'll be any tweaking this session, but I think it's a good deal. And, and I, 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 I think Utah's led the way on this, and I think we, we need to continue to lead. Representative King, do you, are you in favor of that bill going into effect? Well, we, I voted against it last session simply because it's a, it's a far-reaching change and it makes a, has a lot of impact on a lot of businesses, has a lot of impact on our economic development, uh, may have a lot of impact on our tourism industry. And we had that bill introduced at the beginning of the last session. And when we are talking at the legislature about significant bills that constitute significant changes in public policy, what we usually end up doing is taking a year or two to discuss those. And the reason for that is during a 45-day session, you just don't have the opportunity as a legislator to look at all the intended and unintended consequences of any significant piece of legislation. And in fact, after we passed that bill, there were some things that came forward that people said, oh boy, boy we didn't understand that that was going to be a significant impact. For example, gun owners were concerned and uh, uh, immigrants from other countries were concerned about their driving status once they came from another country and what the language of the bill I think is an unintended consequence had on that. So I think there will be some tweaks simply because if nothing else there are some details that need to be ironed out that we didn't anticipate from last session. I know some people want to delay the implementation. Some people want to put in a tiered system where if you're at 0.05 to 0.08 it's not a misdemeanor if you're charged, it's an infraction or maybe even a warning, things like that. I don't know whether those will get legs. Uh, I, I do think that what Senator Adams identifies as a very critically important public safety issue ought to be recognized. And that's one of the things that made it a tough vote, quite honestly, for me in the last session. I thought, you know, if we're going to save lives by going from 0.08 to 0.05, that's a good thing. And it is. But um, you have to weigh that off against other things, too. And my no vote was primarily based on, I want to think about this and take a harder look at it. Um, so we'll see. I think it will be revisited this session in one fashion or another. So, so we'll probably uh, revisit the novice driver and, and some of the other issues with gun owners. But the, the facts are uh, fatalities are down, alcohol sales are up, tourism's up. And I think it's already having a positive effect on uh, actually how people drive and when they choose to drive and how they choose to drive. And I think we need to keep the discussion going. I think distracting driving is a, a, a big issue. And I think we need to continue to focus on uh, fatalities because uh, 290 is way too many. 260, somewhere around there, 70 we may see this year is still too many. Uh, zero fatalities. That's where our goal is, and we need to keep bringing awareness. And when we get behind a wheel, we need to pay attention to what we're doing, and we shouldn't drive impaired. 
Well, I know we need to get, let you gentlemen uh, get going. We'll take a break, and then we'll uh, bring Senator Davis in. Uh, Senator uh, Stuart Adams, who is the uh, Senate Majority Whip, and uh, Representative Brian King, House Minority Leader, have been with us. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you for your interest. Thank you. You're listening to a live broadcast from the state capitol, Utah, uh, at the beginning of the 2018 session. Access Utah will take a break and come back with uh, Senator Gene Davis after this. This is Richard Hatch for Bringing More to Life. You love and appreciate your parents, but your parents can't tell this unless you show it by the way you treat them. We might bring heartache without realizing it. We don't call them much. We forget special events. We ask for money. We don't offer help as often as we could. We know that including them in family events can be burdensome so the invitation isn't extended. You can make a change this very day. If you feel you can do more, it's not too late. Begin by picking up the phone and calling. I plan to call my mother as soon as this airs to see if she heard it. A simple invitation can bring more to their lives in ways you never knew. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan. Advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Tune in for Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. Coming up, fractured identities. As Whitman said, each one of us contains multitudes. But some elements of the multitude conflict with each other. When they come into conflict, should we try to pick one or try to harmonize them all? And is that even up to us, or does society have a say? Fractured identities, next time on Philosophy Talk. Join us tomorrow at 4 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We are live from the Utah State Capitol today. Uh, glad you're with me. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, we are at the uh, opening day of the 2018 Utah Legislature. We've been talking with Governor Herbert, Representative King, Senator Adams. We will uh, be talking with Representative Brad Wilson, and uh, we'll have uh, some conversations with some interest groups, Utah Health Policy Project, Crossroads Urban Center, Utah Taxpayers Association, Utah Schools Now, or Our Schools Now. Right now, we bring in Senator Gene Davis, Senate Minority Leader. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. We uh, we thank you for taking the time. I know uh, you'll shortly be heading into the, the session. Um, so I want to start with with uh, public lands. Pretty uh, pretty hot topic, um, and big changes, of course, to the two big national monuments in in Utah, the most recently created ones. Um, I want to start with Representative Noel's bill, which would apparently um, limit the the opportunities or the ability for government employees to comment or lobby on the federal designation within the state of or federal lands. What do you think of that? You know, I, I don't think uh, the state has the power to really be able to institute that part of uh, the Constitution to limit expression and free expression. However, the department heads themselves could limit the amount of expression that's made in, in, on certain topics. Uh, we talked in the earlier segment about uh, Utah's drunk driving law. Let me get your brief comment on that. Uh, at the end of this year, it's uh, set to uh, go to the toughest in the nation, 0.05. What do you think should should happen? I'm hoping uh, that in the upcoming session that uh, we will deal with that issue. And, and my hope is that we back off uh, at least until a few other states have done it and then join the other states uh, in, in implementing that, if that so be. 
the uh, reasoning that goes on in the entire country. Mm. I understand from the Highway Patrol and others that even at that, it's pretty hard to to enforce at .05. Another uh, driving law, the proposed law, Representative Carol Moss is proposing a bill that would outlaw handheld cell phones, use of handheld cell phones while driving. One of the biggest problems we face in the state of Utah uh, among our driving public is uh, lack of concentration while you're driving, distracted driving, and we need to address that issue. Hmm. Uh, what's your view on Our Schools Now initiative? You know, I'm supportive of that, but then I'm supportive of, of adding more money into public education. I, th I think what we need to do is really take a look at how do we as a state equalize the opportunity for all children to have an equal opportunity funding-wise in education. I take a look, uh, a few years ago, we did the uh, flat tax, which was a 5% tax, and that was supposed to take care going well into the future of our children and their needs in, in public education and provide us the amount we needed. However, with the exemptions and credits that we give on income taxes, that rate now is 3.8%. So from what we thought we would have when we initiated the uh, flat tax in the state of Utah, we now have a 3.8%. So we've lost 1.2% uh, of that funding that we were planning on counting on. So we have to address that some way. Hmm. Uh, there's another uh, ballot initiative. I'm not sure where this is in terms of uh, signatures, and uh, that is Utah decides on, on Medicaid expansion. Senate Bill 47, which is my bill as a matter of fact, is full Medicaid expansion. It is my hope that if we cannot get that through and cannot find a way to deal with that, that that uh, petition will garner the, enough strength to be on the ballot and pass. I think it's time that we in the state of Utah take care of those in great need. I think that a, a full Medicaid expansion does that. It helps the working poor have access to quality, affordable health care. Uh, on a 90-10 match with the federal government, I think it's a good match that we end up with in the future. Right now, our Medicaid is at 70-30, and uh, so it'd save us money in the long run as well by doing that. Uh, and it also covers the people. It's time to do that, and uh, people that can't afford it, you take a person that's making $15,000 a year, uh, divide that by 12, and that gives you their monthly income. Rents in the area are going for around $900 for an efficiency apartment. That doesn't leave much money left for a person to get to and from work and put food on the table. Mm. So we need to address that issue. I've been reading some talk, uh, I think I'm reading correctly, from Republicans, maybe in support of partial Medicaid expansion, some Medicaid expansion. You know, Would I, you be supportive I, of that? What, what they're talking about is the uh, expansion or a waiver, once again, another waiver on our traditional Medicaid at 70-30. And that would cover people to 100% under the uh, primary care network, the PCN, which is a Medicaid program that's in place now. It would expand that to cover more services. But once again, it's a capitated system. And uh, currently, I think there's 12,000 people that's on that of, of uh, I believe it's capitated at 57,000. Hmm. 
we have a need for 164,000 people to get access to health care. So that's one of those issues that we need to really take a look at, and I think it's time to do it. It looks like there is there will be a bill coming uh, which will propose blocking uh, state-paid health care for children of legal immigrants. What's your view of that? You know, if they're legally here, they should be legally entitled to all of the programs of the state. And to exempt these individuals who are here actually because of what's going on in their own countries, refugees are a special issue that we invite into this country. We give them Medicaid for their first six weeks, I think it is, or six months that they're here in this country. If they have need, why wouldn't we continue to address those needs? Mm. Um, the, uh, there are a couple of, uh, looks like they might be a couple of proposals. Representative Tim Quinn, Senator Bacchus, I understand, might run a, a similar bill, uh, eliminating the state sales tax on food. Elimin- some, um, or, yeah, eliminating state sales tax on food. And, and uh, uh, the state sales tax on food, I think, was a right thing to do. Uh, a few years back when we instituted that, the idea was that eventually we'd, we would get to full uh, sales tax elimination on food. Uh, you know, I, I just don't see a reason to go that way. There's other places we can find the money that people are paying for food. Uh, when you start paying sales tax on food, it becomes a very regressive tax. And so we need to make sure that taxes are not regressive. Okay, so you would be in favor of reducing that, keeping that eliminated. Uh, I would keep the lowest that level exemption, possible. Yeah. that exemption yeah. in place. Yeah. Okay, and expand it if we could. Right. Um, just a, a couple more. There's there's uh, some initiatives being proposed, and I wonder if you would support initiatives or or proposals at the legislature, um, uh, tweaking the law on medical marijuana. On medical marijuana, we've uh, we've had that debate in the Senate. We've had it. Uh, a number of times. We passed it over the House to deal with. We decided we'd study it rather than than do anything on it. Uh, an initiative, uh, the public has a right to sign all initiatives, and I think that's probably one that I'm hearing from my constituents. They want us to do something on. And if the legislature fails to do something, then of course that's the way the public has direct input into democracy. Uh, another uh, proposal being floated, either on the initiative side or uh, at the legislature, uh, instituting a redistricting commission, eliminating, as the proponents see it, gerrymandering. Uh, as a minority member, mm-hmm. and having been through a few uh, redistricting committees and commissions that we've, we've held, I believe it, it, there's a lot of validity in having somebody else's eyes look at how to redistrict the state of Utah. Uh, that being said, I think there's ways to structure the law that still gives the legislature the power over redistricting, which is a constitutional power that we have to, re- to redistrict every 10 years. And so I can see, and having been on the committee this last time, I can see how it has put, been politically gerrymandered. And so we need to take a look at how do we come from around that. I take a look at our congressional delegation. We've got two cities of the first class in Salt Lake County alone with the population. And I look at that and I 
wonder if our urban core issues are really being dealt with as the lands issues are in rural Utah. So we need some balance in, in our congressional delegation mm -hmm. to make sure that it's, it's fair and that the people with their special needs and interests are truly represented. Mm. Um, the opioid crisis continues state uh, or nationwide, including here in Utah. What can be done at the legislature? What do you propose? Uh, I think the opioid uh, crisis epidemic, if you will, needs to be addressed both in the uh, doctor's office where the prescriptions are presented. I think also Medicaid expansion, because it will cover substance abuse problems, also will be able to deal with those individuals who are who find themselves uh, trapped in the opioid epidemic. Finally, just open-ended, uh, what, what's, what's top of mind as you head into the 2018 legislative session beginning today? Well, I think the number one thing that we look at every year is how do we balance the budget? with all of the needs, and we spoke about some of the needs here today. And I just, as I take a look down the road 45 days, and I have no crystal ball in front of me, we seem to always balance the budget by the last night. Uh, we pass numerous laws. I know there's uh, over 1,200 bill files opened. We will probably deal with maybe about five to 600 of those in the next 45 days. So. And there, as we've discussed today, there's a whole plethora of issues that are out there. One is I have a lands bill that uh, encourages the state to lease its land before it sells it and try to have leaseholds. And uh, that way, if we need the land in the future for any reason, the state still owns that property. Hmm. So that, to me, that's, that's a bill I'd like to see get through also. But... That being said, I really don't know all of the subjects of all 600, 1,200 bills that are going to be out there that we're going to deal with. We'll take them on a case-by-case -case basis, as always, and uh, debate them thoroughly. Well, today begins the 45-day sprint, right? That's so, right. So uh, uh, thank you for joining us on, on the opening day of the legislature. Senator Gene Davis, uh, Senate Minority Leader, thank you so much. Thank you, as always. Let's take another break. We'll come back and uh, talk with... Uh, Representative Brad Wilson, the House Majority Leader, after this break. On the next Radio Lab, we have here nine, nine babies. We need help. The increasingly complicated business of making a family. Two guys and, and three women. Four countries. Yeah, planes. Three jet planes. Two wait, jet planes. Hundreds two of, of thousands them. of dollars. And the women behind it all. The women are there in charge of deciding how they want their life to be, and we don't have to look at them with pity. Join us tomorrow at noon on Utah Public Radio. Rising seas threaten to leak into a covered nuclear waste pit in the remote Marshall Islands. Unfortunately, this is a nation where its nuclear legacy is colliding directly with the climate change future, and that dome is the intersection of all of that. The Dilemmas of Nuclear Pollution. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Join us Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Mark Critch has been doing political satire since he was in high school. His comedy takes on Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump, but what's still funny in the era of fake news? You're going to hear all about that with today's guest host, Lori Brown. It's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. 
Join us this afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, we're live at the uh, state capitol in Salt Lake City. It's the uh, opening day of the 2018 Utah legislature. We appreciate Governor Herbert, Representative King, Senator Adams, and Senator Davis uh, joining us. And coming up, we will, uh, we're going to expand the broadcast uh, beyond uh, the top of the hour, so you hope you stay with us for interviews with uh, some folks from Utah Health Policy Project, Crossroads Urban Center, Utah Taxpayers Association, and Our Schools Now. Right now, I speak with Representative Brad Wilson, who is the House Majority Leader. Uh, so I've been asking everybody, um, just open-ended question, what's uh, top of mind for you heading into 2018 session? Well, you know, the challenge with that question is there's a lot of different things that are always top of mind on the morning of the first day. But um, the big the big lift we always have to, cha- we always have challenges with and need to accomplish is passing a $17 billion budget and figuring out the best way to navigate that. But uh, this year's different because we not only have that a big budget hill to climb, but we've got a lot of other significant issues in the background that are uh, different we're going to have to deal with this session. What is uh, What do revenues look like? So the state's been growing at a really impressive rate, uh, fastest growing state in the country, uh, according to some metrics, top top five and others. But that's uh, that's always a challenge. The good thing is we do have a lot of new revenue this year as the state's growing that we can invest in education and infrastructure and those types of programs. And so they'll take the lion's share of our new money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of uh, uh, initiatives, ballot initiatives, that are um, in various stages of moving forward. Our schools now. Yeah. Um, what's uh, the uh, House Republican view of that initiative? <laughs> well, you know, the challenge with these ballot initiatives is in many cases they're taking very complex discussions and policy items and boiling them down into some very simple language. Um, And they're not, in in many cases, really uh, great topics for ballot initiatives because of the complexity. And uh, you're kind of taking a meat cleaver to something that that, that needs a scalpel in a lot of cases. And so we have some concerns about them. I mean, you can't talk about a seven to eight hundred million dollar tax increase uh, without having some concerns about that. The reason that I believe we've had one of the best economies in the country is we've got very favorable tax policy in the state. And so um, trying to balance the needs of our education system with successful tax policy is a real trick uh, for lawmakers, and it's one we take very seriously. But uh, I, I don't think the citizens of Utah probably uh, want to see a three-quarters of a billion-dollar tax increase uh, without more clarity than the initiative provides in relationship to how that money is going to be spent. Uh, proponents of our schools now say that one of the reasons they are pushing this is they want more stable revenue. They want... Uh, kind of a change in the in stabilizing of the revenue coming in for schools. Yeah, I don't understand that issue at all. I mean, we put more money into public education year after year. We put over a billion dollars of new money into public education over the last few years. And a significant portion of public education's funding comes from property taxes, which is extremely stable. So uh, the argument that there's lack of stability in education funding just, quite frankly, is not true. Uh, another initiative. Uh... And Medicaid. What do you think about that one? Well, so we just talked about public education and the importance of investing and putting money into that. Um, 
And the challenge with Medicaid expansion is that uh, it creates tremendous uncertainty uh, for policymakers in the state budget. And uh, three years ago, when we were talking about this, we were talking about this at significant uh, lengths. We were given all these different numbers. Well, we come to find out a year later, after we didn't pass it, that it would have cost the state two to three hundred million dollars more than the estimates were providing. The only place that money could have come from, realistically, would have been out of public education. So we're going to have to make some difficult decisions here. I do think that if we end up seeing Medicaid expanded in one form or another, having a work requirement makes a lot of sense. Hmm. You would advocate for a work requirement. Some states are doing that, I guess. Or well, so the Trump administration uh, is starting those conversations and allowing a work requirement to be part of the equation. And uh, that was one of our conditions three years ago that we wanted to see in terms of a waiver for Utah if we were to ever see something like this happen. And, and it just makes sense. For those that are able to work and want to be on public assistance, we would expect them to do that. Mm-hmm. Of course, the devil's in the details. I've heard some, right. uh, some people who uh, have heartburn over a work requirement saying that uh, some people um, being required to work would, would uh, create an extreme hardship um, in, in some cases. Well, and so I said a minute ago that we're talking about those that are able to work, and uh, right. if they are, we would expect them to do so. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, public lands. This is, of course, President Trump uh, flew into Utah, made his announcement, uh, drastically uh, shrank two uh, national monuments created by uh, Presidents Clinton and, uh, and Obama. Um, it seems like this issue is still as polarized as ever. Do you, do you think this is settled into a, a stasis at this point, or do you see changes coming? Well, I don't think you're going to see a lot of changes this legislative session. I mean, we took action a year ago uh, really in relationship to these two national monuments, in particular Bears Ears. Um, but we're going to see this being dealt with in the courts, it looks like, for the next little while. And we'll watch the courts closely and see what happens there. The the challenge is uh, these public lands that we're talking about uh, are still under uh, federal protection. Um, and and we're giving, uh, there's a false narrative out there that Utah doesn't care about its public lands, which of course is, is not true. In fact, uh, this week we've got a new caucus starting uh, here at the Capitol, uh, Democrats and Republicans from the House and Senate all involved uh, dealing with outdoor access for uh, recreation, hunting, fishing, those types of things. And uh, the truth is lawmakers here care tremendously about public lands. Um, we just want to also have access to public lands to be able to use them. What do you think about Representative Noel's uh, bill, which would uh, restrict government employees from advocating for, you know, federal designations? Um, this, uh, this, one, this is one example. This is my characterization of how heated this, yeah, this yeah, whole argument yeah. is. What do you think yeah. about that bill? So I haven't had an opportunity to read Representative Noel's bill yet. Um, there are times when um, we think that uh, we need to kind of look at these types of issues. We've got another bill in that same vein that uh, is probably going to be run by Representative Val Peterson restricting the executive branch's ability to lobby the legislature on behalf of certain policies. It's kind of in the same vein is uh, keeping executive branch functions, whether they're federal or state, uh, doing executive branch functions and letting the legislative branches do their work separately. Um, uh, Representative Tim Quinn, I understand, also Senator DeBacchus are uh, set to run bills which would eliminate state sales tax on food. What's uh, what's your view on that? Uh, I don't think those are likely to pass. Um, We have uh, a tax policy here in the state that... uh, 
we already have challenges with our sales tax and funding government as people's consumption patterns are changing and they're spending money differently, whether it's online or just on more service or oriented types of uh, uses. Uh, we have a, a sales tax general fund issue already uh, and reducing the sales tax on food or eliminating it exacerbates that problem. Uh, and that is a tax that is fairly stable. So I think if we're worried about low-income folks and how they uh, survive and navigate uh, that, we should be looking at credits and opportunities to help them in a different way. Mm. So, um, Of course, the uh, Congress just passed a big tax reform bill. How is that going to shake out in Utah? Any, uh, any, what are the effects in Utah? Yeah, so tax reform is an interesting topic and an important one, and and I for one think that it was overdue at a federal level. Um, we had a, we had a very uncompetitive uh, tax policy, especially when it came to uh, corporate and business taxes, and that's why you saw so many U.S. companies uh, uh, taking money and operations overseas. And this tax reform has changed that, as we're seeing in the news, which is going to be very good for the U.S. economy and U.S. workers. Um, that is something that's uh, happening here in Utah as well. I was talking uh, with a friend last night who uh, has a son that works for a large company here in the state and just got a raise specifically because of tax reform. So we're optimistic that uh, that tax reform at a federal level is going to help the Utah economy. Uh, interestingly enough, um, it's also created a challenge for us in relationship to how taxes are paid in Utah. And inadvertently, um, we're going to see probably $75 million of additional revenue uh, that's coming from Utahns because they're losing uh, some of their exemptions. And so we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And we have options. We can uh, turn around and put that money right back in the pockets of those that, uh, that paid it. We can set that money aside for emergencies. Or, of course, we can spend it. Um, and uh, I think you'll probably see a little bit of all three of those things as my prognostication in mm -hmm. terms of how that money will be used, um, partly because it goes away in 2025 mm -hmm. when those uh, exemptions and that tax law changes. Uh, one of uh, Speaker Hughes' emphases uh, in the past little while has been homelessness issues. Anything from this legislature? Dealing with homeless issues. Well, we have some additional appropriation that we need to be doing um, in relationship to that uh, Operation Rio Grande. And, and we will definitely make that a priority in terms of our budget this session. We've made tremendous progress down there, but we're really in the phase now where we're trying to help people get back on their feet, uh, work programs, uh, uh, reduce substance abuse challenges for individuals uh, in, in that area while maintaining the law enforcement component. But uh, the thing that's been exciting for me is we've, uh, while keep, keeping the law enforcement efforts up, we're moving to the next phase, which is helping those individuals that really needed help because we can identify them now. We've got the criminal element uh, under control uh, in, the, in that area of the state and the city, and uh, helping those folks that actually need the help uh, is probably the, the really great part of what's happening down there. And Speaker Hughes, uh, in my opinion, gets all the credit for that. Mm -hmm. uh, he brought all the stakeholders together and was the tip of the spear. And and uh, it's a great example, in my opinion, of strong leadership. So um, you, you are recognized you may not want to answer this question. Uh, Speaker Hughes has announced he will not be running for re-election. Um, will you be running for speaker? <laughs> 
<laughs> You're right. I don't want to answer that question. So we have work to do over the next 45 days. And uh, uh, the rest of the House leadership team and members of the Republican caucus are uh, leaning into that and working very hard. And we'll deal with uh, leadership races uh, in, in the spring or excuse me, after the sessions over in the fall. OK. And uh, but uh, it's been a great honor to work in the House and serve members there. And I, I hope to be able to do it in some form or fashion in the future. We'll see what the future holds. Uh, finally, anything else uh, that's um, on your mind as we head into the 2018 legislature in terms of priorities or anything else? Well, I think that uh, we've got a lot of interesting things out there. Uh, we're going to be helping to define separation of powers a little bit. You know, we had this kerfuffle over the summer in relation to the special election, uh, the replacement for Representative uh, Congressman Chaffetz, and we'll be uh, looking at those types of issues. Um, You'll see us uh, probably elevate a, a discussion about the legislature being able to call itself into a special session in the event of an emergency. And uh, so that's a bill you'll see uh, coming through the House. And, and a lot of the same issues uh, that we have kind of every year uh, will come back. So it's always fun. This is a, a morning of anticipation. Part of the interesting part about this is my eighth legislative session is you never know on this first morning of the session what the big surprises are going to be, and it's always kind of fun. Well, we've been talking with Representative Brad Wilson, House Majority Leader. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, it's the opening day of the 2018 Utah Legislature. We've been talking with various legislative leaders. My thanks to all of them, including Governor Gary Herbert. Uh, following uh, another uh, brief break, we are going to be talking with representatives from some interest groups. We'll be talking with uh, Our Schools Now, Utah Taxpayers Association, Crossroads Urban Center, and Utah Health Policy Project. This is Access Utah. Thanks for listening. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard at upr.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement. Online at utahhumanities.org. White working-class voters delivered President Trump his victory. We talk with the author of The New Minority, White Working-Class Politics. You can't craft the politics of Trumpism uh, without engaging in some sort of resentment of racial uh, diversity in America. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Wake up with Good Reason Wednesday at 4 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. If you are an NFL fan, you might know about Alan Page. Played in nine Pro Bowls with the Vikings, 1971 MVP of the year. Well, now he's got a performance with the Minnesota Orchestra under his belt. Coming up, Alan Page narrates Lincoln Portrait by Aaron Copeland. It's on the next performance today from APM. Join us tonight at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, thank you for joining me today on the opening day of the Utah Legislature. We uh, have done this for several years, and uh, today is no exception. We're broadcasting live from the Utah State Capitol on the opening day of the Legislature. We've been talking with various legislative leaders. We talked with Governor Herbert, 
Now we uh, talk with representatives from uh, several interest groups, asking them what's uh, top of mind heading into the 2018 Utah legislature. We start with Our Schools Now, conversation with Austin Cox, campaign manager with Our Schools Now. So tell us in brief, Our Schools Now is a ballot initiative. In briefly, what would happen if this passed? It's a ballot initiative to invest in Utah teachers and students. As you probably know, Utah's the last in the nation in per-pupil spending, and we've decreased our spending in education by $1.2 billion over the last 20 years each year. So we are currently gathering signatures to put an initiative on the ballot that would ask voters if we should increase our investment by $1,000 per student That would move us up two spots, but would provide much-needed resources for our schools and for our teachers and especially our students to be successful. So this is heading toward the the, the ballot. Will this be on our ballot, uh, 2018? That's our intention. That's our goal. We're gathering signatures now. We need 113,000 signatures to qualify for the ballot, and we've uh, gotten most of them, and hopefully we'll meet the deadline by April 15th and be on the ballot next year for teachers and parents and students to vote on. So uh, it looks likely we'll be voting on this in November. Uh, What about the legislature this year? What would our schools now like to see from the legislature? Yeah, we've worked with the legislature for many years, probably for the last eight or nine years, hoping that they would be able to put a solution together to significantly invest in our students and our teachers. And that hasn't happened yet. We've been clear from the beginning that we would prefer a legislative solution. We would hope that they could come together to find new revenue sources to support our schools. Uh, And if they want to tackle that this upcoming session, we would be glad to see that. But there's not an indication that that's going to happen. And we'll continue to gather the signatures to make sure that uh, at least by the end of this year, we'll have an opportunity to vote on this. So um, new revenue sources, I guess the what's happened up to now, I guess what would probably happen in the 2018 legislature, available revenue sources, and the legislature appropriates that. That's their job, of course. You're, you're looking for new sources. That's the big innovation here. Is that correct? What we would hope to see is that over the last couple of years, the legislature has put more money into public education, which we're grateful and appreciative for. Unfortunately, Utah's a growing state. We have lots of children in this state. And so a lot of that funding has gone towards covering the new students in our schools. That funding also goes to covering inflation. It covers health care costs. It covers retirement. Teacher salary increases each year. Cost of living increases. So a lot of those funds that the legislature puts in each year actually doesn't allow us to implement new programs or new tools in our schools for us to increase our student achievement. And so we would like to see things funded like early childhood education programs, teacher mentoring and professional development programs, technology in our schools, extended teacher contracts, smaller classroom sizes. We we actually would like to see specific things be funded and appropriating new funds each year with existing revenue sources only allows us to keep whole and maintain our current standing, which is last in the nation, and isn't allowing us to see new innovative things in our classrooms. I'm going to read a Salt Lake Tribune headline, which I think expresses it well. This is speculating. We, you know, I'm sure our schools now hopes the ballot initiative passes. This is one one facet of it. Uh, this is the headline: Voters give okay to $650 million in local school bonds. Will they do the same for a statewide $715 million Utah education proposal? And then they quote, uh, Benjamin Wood is the writer here, he quotes Hinckley Institute of Politics Executive Director Jason Perry, who says that uh, people are maybe more 
more willing to fund local projects and especially buildings. Uh, somebody could drive by a facility, maybe they'd be less willing to vote for uh, a statewide uh, tax increase for schools in general. What do you think? So the great part about our proposal, which we've spent many months, many years actually working on, is that it prioritizes local control. So that $1,000 per student does go to local schools. So a school that has 400 elementary students would receive about $400,000 each year. And the local education leaders and parents would come together to put a plan together, present that plan to the local school board, and then that local school board would approve that. So this would actually invest in local schools throughout Utah. And polling and surveys show that if Utahns see that the funding would go to help their teachers and their students and their community, that they would be much more likely to support it. So we are confident. We do think that uh, the bonds that were passed just a couple months ago are a good indicator for our success because it shows that Utahns do want to invest in education. And now that we're able to remodel or renovate some of the buildings, which those funds at the bonds at the local level are only able for construction, now we need to make sure that we have the resources inside the school for our teachers and students to be successful. So none of the funds from our schools now would be used for construction, but actually instruction so that teachers have the support they need to make sure their students are achieving. Finally, this, uh, and again, this is all speculative. This, uh, I guess the voters will decide in November. But our schools now characterizes this, and, and many would agree, this is a small tax increase, the state sales tax, a small increase in the personal income tax. People opposed to this will say, but however small it is, it's still an increase. What's your argument uh, in favor of uh, of doing the increase? Yeah, it's a it's a necessary investment into critical infrastructure. We we are a pro family state. We have children, and we have an obligation, we believe, to make sure they receive the highest quality education. And investing in education will ensure that our communities, our families, and our state is successful. This is a group of business leaders coming forward asking that we increase our income and sales tax by just less than half a percent, 0.45 percent, so that we can invest in education, so that those students can compete for the best jobs, so that Utah uh, private sector can continue to grow, that wages can increase, and that we will continue to lead the nation from an economic standpoint. So we really do need to make sure that we are investing in education so that we can continue as a state to lead into the future. Okay, we've been talking to Austin Cox, campaign manager with Our Schools Now. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. You're listening to Access Utah Live from the state capitol. Tom Williams with you. We're talking with representatives from very in- various interest groups. Our thanks to uh, Austin Cox there from our schools now. Uh, next up, we'll talk with Spencer Nitz, research analyst with Utah Taxpayers Association. What's top of mind for Utah Taxpayers Association as we head into the session? So as, as we all are aware, the uh, Congress has been dealing with uh, federal tax reform for quite some time now and finally got it passed in December. But uh, the state is actually, the state legislature is actually looking at modernizing Utah's tax code as well, and they've been having discussions over the summer to do that to make Utah more economically viable and competitive. Uh, as you know, there are many reports out there that say, you know, Utah is the number one state for business, and Utah is the number one state for employees, but, uh, and that's all well and good, but we need to make sure that we keep and maintain our competitive edge heading into the next uh, couple of decades, which includes uh, modernizing uh, our Utah's tax code. So that's something that we are, are focused on. This includes 
possibly an adjustment in the individual income tax rate based on federal tax reform revenues. What could happen is that as Utah's individual income tax rates decrease on a federal level, it may increase their state income tax burden, which may mean additional revenue for the state of Utah. So there are some legislators that are looking at possibly tweaking the individual income tax rate so that Utahns don't see a significant increase in their individual, their state income tax rate. Overall, is, uh, does Utah have the right balance of, uh, of, of revenue uh, coming in and, um, it, and enough? What are the projections? Well, uh, that's a good question. The uh, Legislative Fiscal Analyst Office ha- does not know precisely the amount of money that uh, the state may see in revenue increases due to federal tax reform, so we just don't have those figures yet. Uh, from the Utah Taxpayers Association perspective, I think that we can say that uh, government may have more than enough money and that uh, taxpayers should see more of their hard-earned money stay with them. But uh, as far as the state of Utah goes, the Utah Taxpayers Association works very diligently to ensure that all taxpayer dollars, not only at the state level, but county and city and, and all the way down, are being used as appropriately and as efficiently as possible. So as, as far as your question goes, I think that uh, Utah generally has a pretty good balance with the bang for the buck that Utah taxpayers get. One of the, uh, th- this was big last year, I think we'll still be hearing about it this year, Our Schools Now is a group is proposing a uh, tax increase. They're selling this as a small tax increase to help uh, pay for schools. Does Utah Taxpayer Association have a position on this? We have not taken a position officially yet. We're still kind of evaluating the different proposals and seeing uh, what the legislature may do in this upcoming session to address education funding. Uh, There are a couple of ideas that are being floated out there to help increase education funding. So we're still evaluating what happens during the legislative session before we take an official position on the $715 million increase that our schools now is proposing. Are there proposals that uh, Utah Taxpayers Association is um, looking at with trepidation, want to oppose? You know, there's the idea of a food sales tax decrease has been floated around. There's actually a bill uh, that is being proposed that would eliminate the state portion of the food sales tax and to make sure that it's revenue neutral, meaning that the state does not receive any additional revenue or lose any additional revenue from elimination of the food sales tax rate, uh, would increase the general sales tax rate on everybody uh, to make up for the loss of the food sales tax. From our perspective, we believe in a broad base and a low rate, and this specific piece of legislation basically does the exact opposite. It cuts into the base while raising the rate, so it would be something that we would uh, oppose, and, and like you said, we have some, some concerns with. Oh, very good. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we got perspective from the Utah Taxpayers Association, from Spencer Nitz, research analyst with the group. Uh, thanks. Thank you. You are listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, live from the Utah State Capitol. It's the opening day of the uh, legislative session. You are welcome to email us with the issue that's on your mind, and we'll use those for uh, future episodes as we go along with the the legislative session with our coverage, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Uh, next up, we've been talking to several groups uh, later in the program. To conclude the program, we'll talk with the Utah Health Policy Project right now, a conversation with Bill Tibbetts, Associate Director of the Crossroads Urban Center. And so just open ended question, what's uh, top of mind for Crossroads Urban Center as we head into the new legislative session? There are We have a couple big priorities this session. One is 
the elimination of the sales tax on food. Representative Tim Quinn from the uh, Price area has a bill that would uh, eliminate the state portion of the sales tax on food. Right now, if you buy food at the grocery store, you pay a 3% sales tax, 1.75% of that goes to state government and, and the rest goes to local government. His bill will get rid of the state portion uh, and offset that cost by increasing the sales tax on non-food items by uh, 0.24%, which would reduce sales tax burden on, on low-income and working families, well, on families in general. So that's a good bill. Uh, Senator Jim DeBacchus also has a food tax bill. The details on that one aren't out yet. Uh, so this has been proposed, I think, a couple of times. What do you think the prospects are this time? Well, actually, this is very different. Last year, there were legislators talking about doubling the sales tax on food. This this year, they're talking about getting rid of the state sales tax on food. So it's it's a big change, actually, from, from the past several years. Hmm. Uh, what else do you have your eye on? Well, we, um, you know, are... are becoming increasingly concerned about uh, the, the number of families in our state that are homeless or at risk of homelessness, we are going to spend a lot of the session talking to legislators about different ways that they can promote the development of more low-income housing in our state. I think this this housing crisis has reached a point where even uh, a business group like the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce is saying that housing affordability is is uh, the biggest unaddressed threat to our economy. There are more families in the state than there are homes for them to move into, and so uh, prices keep going up. And for low-income families, it's hard for them to find a place at all, let alone one they can afford. And this is why we're you know we've seen an increase in recent years in, in family homelessness. I think uh, we're hopeful. I mean, with the chamber weighing in, that that we'll see more significant progress on this issue than maybe we've seen in some recent years. There's been a lot of talk about it, including uh, legislative leaders. Uh, Speaker Hughes has certainly been talking about this, I think specifically with regard to, uh, you know, the Rio Grande area. Um, yeah. But yeah. uh, what what kinds of things would you like to to see the legislature do? What what would be the, the kinds of good things to happen? What we've begun talking to legislators about is the possibility of uh, doing some state bonding for housing. I think housing is expensive, and so you need if you're going to make a difference, you need to put significant resources in. So we are planning to talk to legislators about the need to uh, to start including funding for for affordable housing in, in um, some of our state bonding. All right. Uh, so uh, anything else? Uh, maybe including anything that you're seeing that you want to head off that might be injurious to the people you serve. One other issue that we're very interested in is, is the Medicaid expansion issue. Speaker Hughes has also expressed an interest in, in possibly expanding Medicaid to cover people up to 100% of the poverty level, right? I mean, that would uh, provide coverage to 60,000 people who don't really have coverage right now. There's also a ballot initiative uh, that would cover um, another about 60,000 people who are above the poverty level, um, but still under 138% of the poverty level, so slightly above the poverty level. So I think there'll be a fairly serious discussion about Medicaid expansion this year, which I really didn't expect just as recently as two or three weeks ago. So that's kind of exciting also. We're just talking with uh, folks at uh, Utah Health Policy Project. Uh, they were uh, speaking in support of a potential ballot initiative yeah. on Medicaid expansion. Would uh, Crossroads Urban Center be supportive of that? We are collecting signatures on it at our food okay. pantry. We absolutely support that. Um, you know that we are also very interested to see what legislators ultimately uh, promote in terms of. I mean, we run one of the busiest food pantries in the state. Every day we see people come in who 
part of why they're here is because they can't afford to pay for the health care they need and to buy food. And so they come to us for help with the food after they pay for the health care. I, I think we also see a lot of people who need health care and can't afford it at all. So this is it's clearly it's an issue that needs to be addressed. I think the ballot initiative is great. I think it's really promising that, that the speaker is openly talking about expanding um, in a much bigger way than he's been open to talking about in the past. All right, very good. We'll be talking with Bill Tibbetts from the Crossroads Urban Center. Uh, Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. And uh, finally, from the Utah State Capitol, I'm Tom Williams, opening day of the legislature live broadcast. Uh, We have a conversation with Utah Health Policy Project, uh, talking with Matt Sloniker, Executive Director, and Stacey Sanford, Health Policy Analyst. On your site, uh, healthpolicyproject.org, you have an action center. Contact your representatives. Maybe that's a good place to start. What should people uh, tell their representatives when they call them uh, the opening of the legislature? You know, I, I think it's always wise to contact your representative. Um, we've been digging in uh, to some of these bills. And as you might know, that the health care bills are, are always pretty complicated. So, <laughs> you know, it's hard to get them fully vetted um, before the session, but uh, we're doing so now. And some of the bills don't have language yet, but we're, we're looking to get it out pretty quickly. There, there's some good stuff, frankly. Uh, I think we support a bill by Representative Ray Ward that would allow for family planning services to folks that are under 100% the federal poverty line. It's just a really great idea. It makes sure that, that everyone has access to family planning services no matter what their income level is. Uh, we're supportive of that. We're watching a few other bills. Um, again, we, we haven't been able to get final language on some of the bills, uh, but there are some interesting bills that we're watching very closely. You've got uh, a bill by Representative Eosin on expanding PCN benefits to have a little better coverage. It sounds like a great idea and concept. Uh, we don't know all the specifics of it. Of course, the specifics sometimes affect you know, what, how, what your opinion is. So we're still looking at that really closely, but it's a, it seems like it'd be a good bill. As far as not a bill that isn't good, and, and I'm not even sure if this one is going to be proposed, but we've got a bill by Senator Alan Christensen that would actually revoke something that went through last session, and that was allowing uh, legal immigrants to have access to health care kids, uh, actually. So legal immigrant kids used to have a, a wait, and this would actually make them go back to having a wait. We want them to have health care right away. That's better for our communities in making sure everybody's healthy and kids in communicable diseases and making sure those families are in good, sustainable position from a financial and a health care perspective that their kids have coverage. So that one we, we we're kind of a thumbs down on. Another big bill that we've seen over and over again is a full Medicaid expansion. Senator Gene Davis uh, has run that perennially. Uh, our organization has always been in supportive of a full expansion. It hasn't got anywhere in the legislature, so that's why uh, we're, we're supportive and looking at the uh, Utah Decides Healthcare Ballot Initiative as a different approach that goes straight to the people outside of the legislature. So those are just a few highlights I have. I don't know if Stacy has a couple others that she wants to focus in on or if you have any questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. Stacy, what's uh, your perspective? Anything you're especially looking at? So, I mean, we have that full Medicaid expansion on the docket, but there's also discussion of introducing a Medicaid expansion plan that has a lot of strings attached to it. So rather than covering the full expansion population, there would be caps on this 
this version of the expansion. So Speaker Hughes has said that he wants to be allowed to budget for the Medicaid expansion and therefore kind of put a limit on how many people would be allowed to sign up. And there would be other strings attached in that one, uh, things like work requirements and whatnot. That would be expanding the Medicaid, but not in the way that we prefer to see it done. We like the approach more of the, the ballot initiative where it covers the full expansion. There's no strings. We're not waiting on uh, approval from CMS for a waiver. It would just be passed and done and implemented and really starting to help those people who currently have no health insurance options. I don't know how similar this would be to the one in Maine that passed. Our ballot initiative is very similar to the one that passed in Maine, except for um, ours is a lot more detailed. Theirs was a couple paragraphs. Ours uh, includes the full explanation of what would be included in this legislation. It includes some protections to make sure that the program isn't weakened over time. So provider payment rates are locked in. You can't do things like increasing premiums for Medicaid recipients. And then we've also included a funding mechanism, which was missing in the main initiative. And that's kind of what has held them up and sent it back to the legislature, is that in Maine, they need to figure out how to pay for it. Here in Utah, that's wrapped up in the initiative itself and is not something that would have to be decided by the legislature. What, what is the funding mechanism? So it is a slight increase on the non-food sales tax, which amounts to $0.03 cents on every $20. So on a couple of movie tickets, Utahns would pay 3 extra cents to allow health insurance for tens of thousands of people in poverty. So that's, uh, I could predict, uh, maybe not real popular at the legislature, although polls, a poll out in the fall, I'm reading a Salt Lake Tribune article, two-thirds of Utahns support ballot initiative to expand Medicaid. Different story at the legislature. How hopeful are you? You know, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I think, you know, as we look back at Healthy Utah, and the governor, of course, uh, drafted the plan. He got support from the Senate, and it, it, got, it, held, it got held up in the House. But I, I think there are a number of legislators that are supportive. I don't know that they were able to get to a plan that they could agree on, which is why ballot initiative has been the approach that has emerged. But, but I think there are a number of, of legislators that would like to see a Medicaid expansion. Uh, you know, as indicated, I think, by the bill that, that Stacy was explaining there that would sort of provide Utah's version of an expansion covering that coverage gap but with some things in place that they're more comfortable with. So I think the will to, to cover people is certainly there in the legislature. Okay, um, that's the end of our uh, time. Just a brief conversation today. Uh, we've been talking with Matt Stoniker, uh, Executive Director, and Stacy Sanford, Health Policy Analyst with Utah Health Policy Project. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you. And our thanks to any, everyone who uh, joined the broadcast today. Tom Williams live from the Utah State Capitol in Salt Lake City. It's the opening day of the Utah Legislature. And we have talked with Governor Herbert. We've talked with Representative Brian King, House Minority Leader, Senate Majority Whip Stuart Adams, Senator Gene Davis, Senate Majority Leader, Minority Leader, rather. Uh, we talked with Brad Wilson, House Majority Leader, um, and uh, conversations with Utah Health Policy Project, Crossroads Urban Center, Utah Taxpayers Association, and Our Schools Now. Um, we are thanks to uh, all of those good folks. And uh, just a note, we are interested to know what you are uh, top of your mind in this legislative session, and that will help to drive our coverage of the uh, legislature. And so here's how you could get an email to us with your comment, what's top of your mind 
what's of concern to you, what you would like legislators to do, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Our thanks to you for listening, and you've been listening to Access Utah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this live broadcast of Access Utah from Salt Lake City, Utah. We now join the TED Radio Hour live in progress.